Hi everyone, it's your host of Light Jerome Barbatsis here on an episode of Solo Bud, Storm Bud, Singular Bud. I don't know what we want to call this, but basically Alex is out sick this week um, and we wish him a good recovery and all that jazz, but uh, I don't want to get sick, so we are going to shift gears a little bit. We are still going to talk about the Near Automata raids and the master story quest of... Um, Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers, but we're going to do that next week. Not two weeks from now, next week. So we're, this is, we just want to say, this is kind of like, we're not, rather than taking a little break, we're going to give you a little bonus, right? But for this week, we're going to pull out something we've had in the back pocket for a while, just in case of emergency, and that emergency is now, where I get to have, you know, a half hour to 45 minutes and as soon as I say that, I'm sure I'm going to go on for 75 minutes to talk about uh, talk about video games that I think are in, uh, that our buds are interested in. I'm not going to cut that out. Why would I? I never do, right? Um, but yeah, as I mean, since we're not we're not really recording these episodes super far in advance, we don't have like a full time rotation of episodes to pull from and things content recorded. And his audio setup doesn't really work for the podcast uh standard of excellence that i have set um yet hopefully hopefully in the future we can figure something out where we can record remotely and things are safer but for now we don't have that because we are full-time engineers and not full-time podcasters we are supported um basically by a viewer engagement and by listeners like you completely so if you want to you know continue supporting us giving us that motivation to continue recording episodes of storm buds um engage with us on our social medias you can find the descriptions in the link pop uh uh you can find the link pop in the description of the episode uh, and you can also join our discord talk with us there we're gonna have a lot i mean i'm gonna have a lot to talk about this week because i am going to talk about Final Fantasy 16, the latest, um, not super recent, but you know, the latest entry in the Final Fantasy franchise created by, of course, CBU3, we all know and love. Um, and so I, I've talked about this as a side quest on our main show, and I want to go a little bit deeper into what I feel is a controversial, but interesting game controversial in not the right ways unfortunately it's not controversial because it's like shocking or grotesque or or interesting it's controversial because it makes some pretty tame choices that i think you've probably heard maybe a lot of other podcasters talk about but specifically uh i wanted a seat at that table too for some reason like i like i need one but um before that you know even though i'm by myself I am going to get distracted by my own side quests. And the side quests I have been focused on this past couple of weeks has been uh, a game called Mortal Kombat 1. I did pick it up after not playing 9, 10, 11, or is it, was it MK9? I don't know, a lot of them. I haven't played since, I think, Armageddon. And uh, as a franchise, it had started to get a little drab, a little bit samey, and a little bit uninteresting. I think it ended up, for me just being like a worse bloodier Tekken because of the third, it was like the 3d things and the way the combat combos worked, they were just less smooth and fun. So I just didn't need to play it. But now with the, with the new, I think particularly the new art direction kind of brought me back in and the story reboot. 
Um, and I have been playing the story on my personal Twitch, twitch.tv slash Jerome House. The VODs are still up. So if you want some extra solo bud content, uh, dive into this thing because it is... I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say what I feel, which is that it's bad, but in a really good way. It's like it's really bad. It's so. It's so Hollywood. It's so like. It's so derivative of Hollywood in a way that's not exactly exciting at this point. But also, um, it it at some points really succeeds in being high camp and other points it really fails. But when it does fail, it's still pretty funny. There are times where I'm laughing with it and times where I'm laughing at it as the main story, Um, particularly laughing with it when it's like, we can't, we can't hurt the princess. I'm only going to do a 17 slashing, 17 hit slashing combo with my katana and tear off all her limbs, but we can't hurt the princess. Like they're very clearly lampshading in the story of that game that like, (laughs) This, all this gore is very impermanent and that's funny but at other times and particularly johnny cage where there is a character like this where they're like oh this is just like that that movie this is just like that alien movie or something or they just try to tie it into real life and be that sort of comic relief character um when it's trying to it's just like real comedy you know when you're trying to be funny you're not funny but when you're trying to say something else in a funny way it's really funny yeah right like uh, so that's where I'm at with that. I've been playing a lot of different characters. I don't think anyone, and I'm not going to stick with this game, I don't think, because I don't think any one particular character is grabbing me. Um, you know, I was playing with Scorpion for a while, and I think, and I'm playing with Sindel for a little bit, Kenshi, just like constantly bouncing around, and nothing's really sticking, so I feel like I'm probably going to drop it once I beat the story and not get the DLC or anything. And I was like, I'd rather just play Street Fighter or Tekken um, still, unfortunately. That's how I feel about it, so, but... Uh, check out the VODs if you want to see some funny moments, uh, particularly. I particularly like watching my teen die. That's hysterical. Uh, anyway, that's enough out of me for Mortal Kombat 1. Um, I think I'm going to take a quick little uh, water break and come back with my thoughts on Final Fantasy 16. Okay, and after no time at all for you, I am back and refreshed and ready to talk final fantasy 16 i am a huge uh, final fantasy fan have grown up playing these games one of my first games ever was final fantasy mystic quest um so i am kind of a fanboy, but i will do my best to be as critical as i think merits uh the game merits i think what i want to see is a, another final fantasy game that is unforgettable like the franchise has a legacy for for putting out um and so getting into the the meat and bones of final fantasy 16 will hopefully be a fun listen for everyone um in in our community because i feel like my opinions on the subject only differ a little bit from other podcast gamers and gamers podcasts podcast game hosts but maybe uh it will be a little hopefully has a little bit more weight coming from somebody who has dedicated a good chunk of their free time talking about uh final fantasy 14 and cbu 3's projects and things like that so um if you're unfamiliar i'll give you a little cliff's notes on the history of final fantasy 16 not history just like the context of it right it came out this year 2023 big names involved include yoshi p producer 
uh, Masayoshi Soken as the composer, Ryota Suzuki, who is the who's a notable Capcom veteran, and that'll come back into play later. But he was the combat designer, and uh, I want to call out also the co-director and lead writer Kazutoyo Maihiro and art director Hiroshi Minagawa. I think those people kind of that that core group of people will make a, the the core collaborators involved with making decisions about um this game and i think talking about their impact and their history is going to be interesting particularly want to call out at this point that um my hero i believe was the lead writer for heavensward um and there's of course a lot of similarity between the game of thronesiness of heavensward and the game of thronesiness of final fantasy 16 the sort of dark gothic fantasy tall buildings made out of stone everywhere or made out of a mystery alien tech um that is prevalent throughout the the game the the production of this game was also reportedly impacted by the covid19 pandemic and the russian invasion of ukraine but still managed to come out in what i think is a reasonable time frame as a consumer i'm not a project manager but i would have expected it to come out you know within within a time frame that was like that one from announcement to sort of to release, like it was unlike Final Fantasy Final Fantasy fifteen that was stuck in development hell for quite some time under its former alias Final Fantasy thirteen versus, and I think that's all just sort of a Square Enix thing. Like that company, I wouldn't particularly at, at this point doesn't really have a reputation for a super good streamlined project uh project release <laughs> cycle a software development life cycle probably given its recent by recent i mean past 20 years history of uh, putting things out that are weird and making weird choices but the aims of this game were to sort of rectify that i think to try and create a broad appeal for for a dark fantasy <sighs> we'll get into that later too <laughs> we'll get into uh, later <laughs> um that would hopefully reinvigorate the series i guess kind of bring some form of life into it and when people say bring life what they really mean is to of course get money new sales new people come back in and play their old stuff um kind of like uh you know when a new a new artist releases an artist releases a new album when they were really popular in the 90s and then of course their sales and streams and and engagement of their only thing that goes up is the engagement of their 90s stuff. So I would imagine that probably this was setting the stage for uh, Square to get people in before Final Fantasy VII Rebirth comes out next year, right? So there's probably a lot of new Final Fantasy fans that are super pi- super hyped about uh, Final Fantasy, the older Final Fantasies, and now they have had an excuse to go back in to play Final Fantasy VII are and you know that's my that's my my wild fucking guess right this, they're playing sort of the long game here with this so they're making a generic mainline game so that they can kind of go go ham with um tetsuya nomura at the helm of final fantasy 7 rebirth and then they can yeah do that because this game plays it pretty safe right <laughs> it kind of does apart from saying fuck a lot um Okay, it plays it pretty safe. So let's get into a breakdown of the game itself. I like to think about games as sort of three things for myself, three broad categories. I'll first talk about the aesthetics. Uh, then I'll talk about the writing, story, dialogue, kinds of things like that, the world, um, the, the the setting. 
And then, of course, what makes a game a game is its gameplay. Um, so I think for me, the aesthetics are probably the best part about this game. The art direction itself is incredible. Uh, the set pieces are stunning to look at and look at them. You do. Um, so can really delivers on the soundtrack. I think the themes are particularly like the, the boss themes and the hunt themes, um, are, are, are really exceptional, really fun to, to revisit, really fun to revisit. And, uh, a lot of the, and I'll include the acting here as well. I think a lot of the voice acting is really superb. I think the, and I'm going to cite this character a lot, Byron, Stephen Crichton, rest in peace, did a great job. Ben Starr, I think, does a good job as Clive during the emotional bits where Clive is dropping the Batman act. And the Batman act being, of course, the <clears throat> that Clive puts on because he's he's hardened and uh, he's, he's had a terrible life. Um that I think do I think does I think as a direction sort of does it this character disservice think Clive really would have benefited from even more uh of the compassion that's core to his character coming out through his voice at a regular interval um and uh, also it would have given I think if you follow Ben Starr on his social medias Ben Starr is such a playful person it would have given him a lot more space to be playful with this character who's kind of a lug, who's like a, he's a lughead and he's kind of a, with a heart of gold and they could have really, um, dived into, dove into that more. Uh, if, if, if he was given, maybe he didn't, maybe he was given the space and chose not to, I don't know. But if he had that, if he had that extra space to put air into his voice for 90% of the game, I think that would have been really nice for all of us non non vigilantes who maybe want to relate to him to have those more moments like that because and we'll get into this more with the characters um but the but the but that was a little bit missing for me uh another miss was the while the aesthetics and the design and the sound was really great the performance issues on native hardware were a little disappointing. I think they had they had told us that, of course, Final Fantasy 16 was going to push the PS5 hardware to its uh, limit. I was playing, of course, on PS5 Digital. I don't know if that makes a difference. Um, but if you're playing on the graphics mode, you are going to get at most 20 frames, maybe 30, I don't know, maybe 30. But um, I ended up just playing on performance mode the entire time. And even during some of the higher, higher intensity kaiju battles, it was still chugging along. Um, which is a bit of a shame. I think it, that does take me out of things a lot of the times. And I, I, I clocked Tears of the Kingdom for it in our side quest. I'm going to clock Baldur's Gate 3 for it too. I'll clock this game as well. I think gaming in 2023 um, is just, I don't, I don't, I think it's just a given that games that come out, these AAA games, these boundary pushing sort of quote unquote games that come out have performance issues. Um, and I wish it would stop because games didn't always used to have these things and they still pushed boundaries. Fucking Final Fantasy VII didn't and eight didn't. <laughs> and nine, like they, their graphics are stunning for the time. Um, so like it's just, it's the, it's when you're comparing it to the same franchise uh, performance wise, it is a bit of a letdown. Um, and particularly 10, the, that game is so, so stunning. Uh, it's hard not to, it's hard not to compare it to it, which is, I think, at times a little bit unfair for this game because, of course, 
not the same people aren't making it um the same people aren't making giving them the money to make it the same people aren't making decisions for them about how they're going to market it and how they're going to direct it and what kind of stories they want to tell so that's um but but at the same time as as a consumer and as a human being person who who has heuristics that's just where my brains are going to go so if you're going to if you're going to call it final fantasy i'm going to make those comparisons and one of the things final fantasy is known for is having rich world rich lore in its in its games as well as uh often heartfelt story that uh, has greater meaning and to that end, I would say Final Fantasy 16 certainly it doesn't fail, but it doesn't. It's not going to leave a lasting impression on me um, beyond rec- me recording this podcast <laughs> episode. Um, much like the 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 games of yore have done. Um, if you're not familiar with the story, I will say that this is a uh, going to be a spoiler cast. So. I will, I'm not going to go quest by quest recapping here, but I am going to cover the ending and I cover the ending of the side quests, the where, the, the twists, the turns, the, the everything. Um, and right now, so if you're, you know, if you're, if you're not interested in hearing the ending of this, in this game, if you want to experience it for yourself, come back and listen to this episode later, right? Do that. Uh, we'll see you later. But now for now what we're gonna i'm gonna give you guys uh, a quick recap if you are interested in hearing the ending and you're not familiar with the premise of this game so this is sort of a medieval fantasy world called valisthea in which uh the the people have been gifted with magic there are people who have been gifted with magic and there are people who have not been gifted with magic but they can still access magic from crystals and these crystals are given to them they're they're mined off of these gigantic towering crystalline structures in the world called mother crystals and the nations are have been built around them and wars have been fought and continue to be fought for the sake of these mother crystals but as i mentioned there are people with the gift of magic that are innate but they are um as most exceptional people in fantasy settings uh, tend to be they are an enslaved people they are used as tools to further the the business needs and the 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 the, the needs of the highborn um to so that they can basically they're basically treated like you know furnace burners and 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 fans at the beach and and refreshment makers or whatever and what is happening and what it's happening to these people with magic, these magical powers. The more magic they use, the more their flesh begins to turn into stone. So bearers, they're called bearers, and they are uh, kind of on borrowed time, basically. Um, another thing, another term to get a hold of is branded. Branded are bearers that are just marked with a poisonous um, ink made from the a flower that is symbolic of, import, of of symbolic importance to the Holy Empire of Sambrek, which is a nation we'll talk about in a minute. I'm not, but um, the basically they are uh, if they are poisoned, and if they try to remove the brand, the poison will seep into their systems and kill them. Um, and so the the game stories around the game story the story centers around Clive, uh, a young highborn boy, heir to the 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 the, the ducaldom dukedom 
ducality i don't care heir to the he's heir to the throne in a nation called rosaria which is pretty lenient on its bearers and clive is shown to be sort of a savior sort of a white savior if you will of bearers he he sees them or his people where other people don't and yada yada um the uh so they he is the the first shield and he's protecting his younger brother joshua Actually, no. Did I say Clive was heir to the throne? He's fucking not. Man, I've already forgotten. Whatever. Joshua is heir to the throne because Clive does not have uh, an icon, right? He's not a dominant for the icon Phoenix. And um, there are, yeah, oof, I already have to, I already realized that I didn't explain dominance, but let's just get into it. So dominance are people who are vessels for these classic Final Fantasy um, icons or idols or summons, right? There's a dominant for Shiva and Titan, yada, yada. And there's one for each element except Leviathan, who just isn't there and it's never explained. And that sucks. That sucks. Bring back Leviathan. What the fuck? Anyway, um, so Clive was rejected by Phoenix, I guess. And then Joshua is his younger brother, who is actually heir to the throne and is accepted by Phoenix. Uh, Clive also has a terrible, he's a great relationship with his dad and a terrible one with his mother who hates him because she, her job is to preserve the bloodline. She's kind of supposed to be the Cersei Lannister of this thing. And basically what happens is that, uh, this, the, the, his mother, uh, and this isn't really a spoiler. Like they, I mean, it is, but like they, they show it right away. His mother, uh, gets the Holy Empire of Sambrek to assassinate her husband and, uh, try to kill Clive too and then so that so that it's just her and joshua and they preserve the bloodline or whatever and then she can cozy up with the with the empire and joshua can be emperor or whatever so she's got these grand ambitions i'm sure that's going to work out great for her um and that sets off the entire thing clive is actually she changes her mind at the end where she finds clive's unconscious body but then she actually sells him into slavery to be a branded um and then so uh, what essentially also happens is that Clive um, turns into this monstrous other dominant, other fire dominant, Ifrit, and ostensibly kills uh, his brother. So he's off, uh, but he doesn't realize that it was him because he just kind of like went into a fugue state. Um, so he's off on this revenge mission while also being a slave. Um, but he's off on this mission to try and figure out who killed Joshua. He gets picked up by these outlaws. Um, like he's part of this this elite assassins. He runs into, uh, he runs into a uh, the dominant of Shiva who happens to be a ward in in from the the dukedom, and uh, her name is Jill, and she's gray, and that then they get rescued from this from from their the empire by Sid the outlaw, and they start their vigilante justice campaign. Right. That's I think enough of table setting for this game. There's a, there's a whole lot you can go into, but basically, yes, Clive is on this mission to re- of revenge against a lot of people, um, and he is going to have to learn to accept a lot of things and whatever along the way. And there's this whole other plot about the the cosmology of the world that's really un- really unfolding, and we'll talk more about that when we get into what I feel about the main villain of this game which is uh, going to be uh, a journey. So I'm going to move into sort of the breakdown of the the characters the and the dialogue and things and things I want to call out as particularly great and particularly not so great. 
Um, some of the characters really stuck with me. I think uh, Joshua, once we reunite with him, is particularly good, and so is his steward Yote. Um, though she's a little bit underserved, I think, as a character, she kind of has doesn't really have a moment, which stinks. Um, uh, Byron is particularly fun. He was voiced by the late Stephen Crichton, uh, voice of Count Edmond de Fortin in Final Fantasy XIV. Rest in peace excellent character i think really ties the whole family together it makes the family feel like a family where the just joshua clive and jill sort of didn't um i think i liked lubor and theodore as supporting characters they uh, they are both sort of bearers who are living in secret who have their secret out well lubor gets his secret outed and theodore just dies (laughs) but they're they're they 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 reconcile with that in very different ways and I think that's very interesting. I'm glad they didn't just do the, do the one secret bearer sort of deal. Um, I think the I think Dion in particular as uh, w- was really really excellent. Definitely a, the most successful character in this game in terms of being able to being set up for the the sort of the agent of the climax that is the scene in the crystalline dominion wherein he kills his own father accidentally and then the the ulti- the, the the child puppet takes him over with rage and stuff and that's leading into the bahamut fight which is the most fun the game is um i think dion's relationship uh is told in two cutscenes and is told better and more effectively than the main relationship in this game <laughs> Um, I think the visual storytelling in this game is really, really good. Uh, liked the moments where you notice that Joshua didn't like his carrots as a kid, and then he just still doesn't like carrots as an adult, and, and Clive runs into the room, the empty room where Joshua was, and sees that there were carrots on the plate. That was really, really good done. Uh, good done? Really good done. Uh, I like the wyvern tail motif. I like that it symbolized different things for different people. With like like it was a, a poison for the bearers, but a symbol of hope for the Empire Sambrek. Um I liked that that one side quest with the girl and her dead bearer, where um, you know this girl's like I lost my pet, and the pet turns out to be just a dead woman. <laughs> that was a bearer. That was really that was really chilling. I think that was the most successful instance of that that the game tries to. Where the game that was where the game was most successful in conveying the horrors of slavery, I think, um, the the sheer contempt right that people had and the way they treated them like objects. Um, I liked most of the relationships and the backstory that people had together. I do think that Clive and Jill's romance was there just because it felt like it had to be. I would have preferred him not to fall in love with who is effectively his sister but what can you do i don't know what can you do i guess it's it's game of thrones the brother and sisters gotta fuck at some point i guess um i liked i do like the lore of this game the active time lore in particular and maybe that's a gameplay concern but just the ability the game the game lets you dive into its story without having to consult an outlying wikipedia that gets that's really clever that is going to bring the 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 time played of the game up i think that's i think that's fucking genius and they should keep doing it um and it really it's nice that that was there because sometimes the characters themselves the way the game shows the story isn't always successful um but where so but where but where the whereas the active time lore is there just nice to help keep it's also nice to help keep the the interpolitical intrigue intact um as well as you're going through it 
Um, I, I want to start talking about some demerits of the game. Everyone's talked about the pacing of the game. Um, everyone, everyone in, the, in their podcast has talked about the section with mid and the engineering and where you're like going off to where you're like, you just finished this big battle with Titan and then you're going off to get chores done, which does suck. But nobody also, nobody complains about the prologue. The prologue is ass until, until shit starts to hit the fan. The prologue is fucking ass. I hated it. I hated it so much. Um, I hated lines like where Joshua was talking with Clive outside the party and Joshua's like, aren't you going to have, aren't you going to have your, your dinner? And Joshua and Clive responds with a first shield is supposed to enjoy, is supposed to do the bare thing. But I couldn't, I wasn't, I just didn't really do this thing. I was like, you didn't need to say the first shield part. You could just say, I wasn't really that hungry. And that tells us everything we need to know that you're like, not really up for this. You kind of maybe are resentful about this role. Like there's, that's it. You don't, it doesn't, it just always has these, every, every fucking thing has these fucking preambles that don't need to be there because we have the active time lore in place. So use it. <laughs> let us use it. Let the characters be people and then let the lore be the lore. Stop making the characters. Ugh. And uh, going back to Mortal Kombat 1, Mortal Kombat 1 does this constantly. <laughs> it's so egregious. And I think they, they start to let up after the prologue a bit because I mean, like it's a prologue, right? You have to try and get people in. And maybe it's because of the way they released the demo. I didn't play the demo. I don't know if the demo didn't have ATL in it, but it was just a slog. It was such a slog. Um, I think the uh, a lot... Uh, I think the time skips were also kind of medium i think that the game should have started with it like it actually starts in the middle time frame where clive is still an assassin or whatever uh in the empire service and then it like gives you five minutes of gameplay and then you go back to the two-hour prologue that's a slog like what the fuck just start with the fucking prologue <laughs> why well the whiplash you get i got it was it, that was weird and I think the the five year time skip after Sid dies, it's nothing. I think there could have been more game there. I think that would have been interesting just to organically see Clive's uh, Clive take on the mantle of Sid the Outlaw, as opposed to now we just have to accept that he is Sid the Outlaw, and it's been five years and yada yada. I think I think those the the time skips ultimately two of the three time skips ultimately did a disservice to the game. I think the the main time skip is fine. But otherwise, the the other two were a little icky. Um, the a lot of the supporting characters were not great. Jill is a, as I mentioned, gray, and that's pretty much her only personality. It's that's it. Her, she has um, some interesting. She has an interesting relationship with the rest of the cast. She has an interesting relationship with Clive. That's about Clive, and an interesting relationship with Joshua. That's about Joshua. Um, she has this moment where of reconciliation and the, and the, not iron islands, but whatever they're called. Um, and she, you know, she has this revenge quest, but even during the revenge quest, it just all feels very hollow and skipped over and rushed over. And like, this has to be there. She doesn't have, even when she's like killing the person that possibly assaulted her, um, made her or just made her, or just enslaved her, um, she's not losing her fucking mind at that. She, she's not, she doesn't have any moments of explosive emotion um, apart from when she's in love with Clive. She doesn't have, she has this one little relationship with a woman who apparently showed her some niceness, some grace while she was in service 
on the uh, in this in this nation in this island nation whatever it was called maybe i should have done a little more research but whatever you know we're flying by the seat of our pants here um and then that woman doesn't show up again and we get no no thing not a thing there's no like what are her, her actual personality traits she always starts she is always the one in in dialogues and in in scenes asking the questions that need to be asked like what are we doing where are we going what is this she's always just she's not expressing any sort of reaction to the things that are happening she is just trying to get she's just there to make things happen um and she doesn't do that in a way that's no funny or interesting so that's my jill rant um the other rant i want to go on is the main antagonist ultima he sucks fucking shit ass um he's nothing he is the worst final fantasy antagonist since i think since cloud of darkness He's terrible, and that that pains me to say. He's so bad. He his motivation, um, oh my God, what was it? It his whole thing, right? He his his people are gone, and he's trying to use this planet as a vessel for their rebirth. It, it doesn't. It none of it fucking matters because it's all, and it's not undone in a fun way. It's just sort of all very, very, very flawed. Um. Of which, of course, is supposed to be the sort of like crux on the main reveal, right? That like he thinks that the, his, these vessels are beneath him when they're really just like him or whatever. It's, uh, the way that Ultima speaks, the way that Ultima is such like a non-presence, even though he's supposedly everywhere. The way that there are these people that are devoted to him for no reason. The way everything—it's just it—it it, it, it falls so flat of everything. <laughs> um I think even like he's really similar to Zemus, but I think Zemus, a character that came out nigh 30 years ago, still did a better job at manipulating the people in the story of Final Fantasy 4 and that was in a way that was believable and maybe because they just had less to work with, so maybe I'm just filling in the fucking gaps or maybe I was 10 when I played it. I don't know. But um it's been it's been it's been long enough and we've seen enough really really good really good villains that that ultima is just he's uh it was just a nothing is he's just a word soup a walking thesaurus that's supposed to sound threatening and has absolutely no relationship to the cast and that's the big problem a, a character like arden azunia i played final fantasy 15 through the end and i was really into it because I wanted to know what happened with the villain because he had such an interesting relationship with the cast. What's Ultima's relationship with Jill? What's Ultima's relationship with Byron or I mean I mean his what's what's his relationship with Sid? Sid knows what Ultima is, but like that's it. We don't know what is it. Like there's nothing there, right? It's just he's just this vacuous thing that sucks. <laughs> that's all I need to say. Um Barnabas, I've never been more disappointed to be named after a Final Fantasy or have a Final Fantasy <laughs> character named after me. What a like I think that one's just more of a dropped ball. I think there's an interesting backstory there that just wasn't told. His uh he's the king of the neighboring continent of Valud, right, at this point. Um he comes from like this cult background and he wants to do honor by his, by his mother maybe who like worshiped him and then died. I don't know. There's there's a lot 
to dig into there that just wasn't really well told. Um, and particularly Annabelle, Annabella, I think Annabella was her name, uh, the mother of Clive. She sucks. She was, she doesn't suck the whole time. Like, yeah, you hate her right away. And then you, you reunite with her and she just fucking kills herself. And it's like, yeah, I guess a coward would do that. And she's totally a coward this whole time. But like, you're setting up this, they just set up this big whole thing with her. And then she's like, oh, she's just out of the story. She felt like that was a cowardly way to write her out. I think there should have been more. And there just wasn't. And it was disappointing. I was waiting for her to be the big bad and not this f- fucking stupid Ultima dick bad. Nothing. Ugh. Just, yeah, there were some cuts that needed to be made. Uh, the side quest sucked. Everyone knows that the side quest sucked. They they go from zero to a hundred at the very end, and then and then they're cool. They like the end is of the side quest to impact the world. Whether or not you do them, that's neat. Could have maybe hinted that that was going to happen sooner, but like yeah, the the one in uh, Skyloft, Loft, the the Loft, the the village, Lost Wing. That's it. Uh, that village. That just goes from like oh like hey so hey Quentin, this guy knows who you are. He's like oh okay well. Um, he's my mortal enemy and now I'm going to mobilize my entire village now to kill him. And that's it. And that's just, a, there's no, there's no in between. It's just this binary state of peace and all of the village is dead. <laughs> like what the fuck? Um, the use of slavery as a theme. No, it does not hit for me apart from that one little side quest that was, uh, you know, I, I really, I, I am a white person. So. I um, do not have the generational trauma of having, you know, ancestors that were enslaved. Um, But at the same time, I have read stories about the subject matter that did it better by people who are more qualified. And I think uh, the, uh, rather than getting the specifics of it, I think that what my biggest issue was it was because they tried to tackle this theme, the cast ends up having a a huge lack of diversity. There is mostly white people in this. And I think that's because from my point of view, I'm seeing like, okay, we don't want to depict anyone with dark skin as a slave in this game. Right. Um, sure. Yeah. That's, I get that. Um, I think another way to get around doing that is to include people with dark skin in the game and then just not have it be about slavery. You know, maybe maybe that's the way to go. Um, so, well, yeah, of course. But they wanted dark medieval fantasy, and what what dark medieval fantasy story is? What's the most horrible thing? Yeah, we're we're uh, pissing in the slavery well, I guess. So here we go. Uh, that's I mean that's, that 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 sums up my issues with the story. The pacing, a lot of the supporting cast suck. The villain sucks. The the conflict itself sucks sucks the, the the war is okay the war stuff is okay but the fact that it's driven by ultima just uh, just sucks all the gravity out of it now the gameplay uh i want to talk about the the core combat a bit it was made again by um notable cop capcom veteran uh ryota suzuki who i think did a good job with the core combat but i think you know, if I'm thinking about Capcom games that have really good combat, I'm thinking about, you know, Monster Hunter and I'm thinking about uh, Street Fighter in particular. And why, I, why I'm thinking about those games is because they still have those, they have big battles and they, you have characters that have movesets that you can define and even customize in Street Fighter 6. You can like make your own dude and then have to change your game plan. You might have to change your game plan to tackle different monsters or different people online. Um, and 
so the core combat basically you you effectively junction these these icons that you collect and then you get their abilities and they do slightly different things but ultimately you're still kind of pressing triangle and then square and then triangle and then square or whatever you're holding it and then you're just kind of finding a new routine so i think over a long period of time it just sort of ends up like you're doing the same combo over and over again where and there's no real way to like advance or up your level it's not like in street fighter where you're like okay well i learned the basics but now i'm going to start incorporating the 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 overdrives and the drive impact and like trying to get these combo strings longer and longer you get more icons but those just end up sort of replacing the things you already have so you're not actually adding a whole lot of complexity so it it, it doesn't have being samey and then once you get to the end you get zantet skin unlocked and it's just like oh, okay well i don't have to do anything else other than just this and everything dies so hmm, game was easy um Active time lore I mentioned before as a gameplay element and a storytelling element was really fun. I loved digging into the the annals of the story and like learning about the 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 dead parts of the world. And I wish we had more chance to explore the dead parts of the world. Oh yeah, the world is by the way also succumbing to this bl- mysterious blight. Whatever, it's the mother crystals. They're sucking the energy out of the world, and we're gonna, we got to go destroy them. Um, the S rank hunts when you're under leveled are actually quite fun. I think. When you do have to change, when the game is hard and you do have to change up your game plan, I had to change up my game plan against the hardest one, which is that Svarog. I had to switch to a lot of Garuda stuff that I wasn't using before because he was in the air the whole time. I was like, okay, cool. I actually have to change. I'm forced by the game to change my game plan. This is what Street Fighter and Monster Hunter do really well. Um, whereas, but but that was like the one time. So I was like. You know, maybe maybe the Final Fantasy mode does it, but I'm tired of saying maybe this, maybe that about this game. Uh, and I think the kaiju battles themselves were also really fun because they did change the game plan up a little bit, and they were a little more they were more f- fun and dynamic. Just just the music, of course. Also, the hype of it was really good. Um, a couple of demerits for the gameplay: cinematic strikes are just they're QTEs, and you should be lied to us uh, because he had to. Sorry, but like that that sucks. They just they suck. They didn't need to be there. Um, the lack of sort of RPG options. There's an RPG system where you upgrade your stuff, but it's like very, it's just all nothing. It's basically just like three different versions of the crystalline thing in Final Fantasy 13, where it's just like, there's no actual path. You just get as many, you get your, you get your Bitcoin in the form of AP. And then by the, by the end of the game, the AP is so useless. <laughs> you get so much of it that it's all just useless. Like it's basically just crypto. Um, so you're not actually a f- there's not actually any scarcity to the resources that you're getting. So it's all just crypto. Um, the lack of and I want to mention maybe this I should have mentioned in the world building segment, but just the lack of exploration and the lack of cities. Uh, there are cities that you can look at. There's Auraflam and um, Canver and stuff, but you and you kind of sometimes run through them for dungeons but you don't get to explore them really um so there's no big moments of like walking around like luca in final fantasy 10 or going to trino and seeing the back alleys and then seeing the auction house and seeing all these sorts of cool things or lind bloom in final fantasy 9 you know you're going to you checking the markets out and then you have to hunt things so like you see the city in a different light and um there's no there's no like there's there's communities there's settlements that you end up being but there's no no incentive to explore them and there's nothing super fantastical about the things that you actually get into so that sucks um and the end game challenges that i never really failed at i thought i thought they were kind of heart pumping at first but then like the first one i did and then like the next five were all the same and i was like oh okay sort of the, the 
the the the the icon trials as it were um so that's i think that covers about all the points i wanted to cover with this game i I think on the podcast i said it was the best one since since 10 at first and then i downgraded it to the best one since nine i think 10 is still above it um and now i'm gonna i'm gonna downgrade it again i think i think 12 is better yeah, I think 12 is better. Um, I think it's better than 13 and 15 overall. I don't particularly, I particularly don't like those, even though I liked the villain in 15 more. Uh, but it's, I think, a step up. And I think if CBU 3 were given, uh, I think they should give another sh- chance at this game to CBU 3 because they've got something. They've got something here, right? Everyone that's played it knows they've got something, right? I think if they just take out, I think if they really just take out the RPG shit, they just make it a good character action game, like 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 a Devil May Cry, like Bayonetta, like something. Fuck man, Bayonetta's good. God, if you haven't played Bayonetta, play fucking Bayonetta. Um, like those games, then yeah, even, even like Near Automata, which I also loved. I don't love the hacking segments of that game. I don't love the 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 bullet time stuff, which is weird because I platinumed fucking Binding of Isaac, a bullet hell roguelike. That's all. I don't know. I just thought I thought that that the bullet hell stuff was actually in near automata which we'll talk about we'll talk about next week on storm buds we will i promise we'll talk about that stuff um but for this you know anyway like that's there's the the stuff is there you know the the character action is there it needs i think the player needs to be forced to change up their game plan every so often um near automata and bayonetta you know do a great job of that um then this game does not this game just you have to you're doing the same combo over and over again for 40 or so hours i i hope this game was yeah i hope this game was successful in bringing new people in without alienating its core cast too much i think for me um it's it it, it was still successful i still i still loved the the ending in particular once ultima was dead you know i liked I liked the ambiguity of the ending too. I thought that was really successful. It was very visual, very cool. Um, more swings like that, more visual stuff, more abstract stuff, more art artistry in the storytelling would be really appreciated for me because that's the stuff that's the stuff people still talk about. Like you're still people are still interested in hearing about the ending or they want more from it. Like that's the stuff that wants us more. It wants us more. What? What leaves us wanting more? Um, so we'll see about the DLC. Hopefully that puts it in the right direction uh, as well. But um, I, I hope, just hope that next time they do take those bigger swings, bigger swings, right? Um, and as I mentioned, I think this game is controversial only in that it's too safe. But it's, hopefully, hopefully it's successful. Uh, and that's probably going to, you know, I've, I've talked enough about Final Fantasy 16, I think, at this point. Um, but if you have your own thoughts or you strongly disagree with me on any of the things I've brought up in uh, in this, uh, the best way to, to best way to engage with me will be in our Discord. Um, I am a Discord hound. I love that stuff. Um, I am totally open to talking about it. Um so we're also, I'm, of course, it's just me. There's no Alex this week. So, you know, weirdly enough, no no sponsors have reached out. I don't know what it is about. They always just talk to Alex only. And then they, they all say, don't don't tell Jerome about this one. Don't do it. Don't do it. He's not allowed to know until the moment. So, you know, I try. I try to pry it out of him, but he can't. He says he signed like an, an NDA. 
for like three days. It's a three day NDA that he signs every time. Um, and I don't know how that seems really expensive to me, but what do I know? Not a lawyer. So next week we are next week, not even two weeks from now next week. I promise we are going to cover the near automata, uh, the, the stuff, the near stuff in final fantasy 14 Shadowbringers, as well as the master role quests. Um, if you, if you like this, let me know, uh, you know, we can keep doing, uh, we'll probably will keep doing uh, general gaming review podcast stuff after we finish up Endwalker. Um, so uh, the, more like this maybe maybe less you know whatever whatever your feedback is i am interested in it i am openly actively welcoming it um you can find our socials in the description as well as our discord again best way love discord you know i before i go i I will say i really really appreciate our discord members like a lot and i know that i do now because like i not to to brag a little bit i went like semi-viral on tiktok a while ago, like, uh, like I got like a TikTok that had 400,000 views and I swear to God, I would trade a hundred thousand of those views for one discord participant, like just for another one of those. If I had four of those, four more friends in the discord to talk to, that's like way more valuable to me. So if you want to be one of those four friends that is worth a hundred thousand TikTok views, come on in <laughs> to the discord. I don't know if that's insulting or not, but I'm going to go with it. Come on into the discord and talk to us. Um, about, about, about the game, I about uh, Final Fantasy 16, 14, 15, whatever the frick you want. Maybe talk to us about Mystic Quest. I talked about that in this episode, didn't I? I just mentioned that I started that. Maybe that'll be maybe that'll be an episode. Oh my god, that might be an episode for post Endwalker. That's fun. Okay, I could go on and on, but I'm not going to keep you guys any longer. Thank you so much uh, for hanging out with me today, and uh, uh, thank you so much for allowing us to kind of make a left turn. I'm fidgeting with my mouse make a left turn into solo game review territory. Um, but we will be back next week for storm buds. And until then, I guess I'm going to say born from bud storm of bud. I've been the storm bud baby.